Overthinking It Podcast, episode 38. Welcome to the podcast. It is I, your host, Matthew Rather. I am back from a long, uh, a long, long time being erratic hosting the podcast. But I want to thank Mark Lee uh, for hosting. And he's on tonight. Thank you very much, Mark. I tried to fire you in a, in a, in a bloody uprising, but it clearly didn't work. I thought it was a bloodless. Yeah, it was a Damn. bloodless coup. No, but I, yeah, here's the, here's the thing. Next time, use blood. Oh, yeah. uh, in, that's, in that's your, why you're lost. Gosh, well, you know, for one of the episodes in the in the stretch of half a dozen that you hosted, someone wrote in the comments, uh, Mark Lee is definitely my favorite podcast host. And let me say, I could not agree more. <laughs> so, my girlfriend, dude, you realize that, right? What's that? <laughs> that my girlfriend. Oh, She's really? a little biased. I didn't, re- I didn't realize <laughs> I thought it was just some Uh-oh. random dude out there. I thought it was like Mike from LA. Hi, Mike from LA. By the way, if you're li- if you're listening, I may be moving out there in the fall to join you. But uh, uh, before we start the uh, masturbatory talk about our own lives, let's launch right into it with the panel and our question of the day of the week of the podcast, which is uh, in honor of the closing of Battlestar Galactica. What is the best? television series finale that you have watched let's go in alphabetical order which means i think that we start with peter fenzel yo 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 hey, that's how's, a me how's life I'm in mario life in bean town is solid spring training is going which means that the town is getting psyched up and my ambivalence is setting in so i'm, <laughs> I'm doing fine i'm gonna I'm, you you might have heard the series that we did on this here on oti but i'm gonna go with the shield season finale for that one i i series finale i really thought that it, it really set the standard and jumped over the standard and then it shot the standard in the back of the head and then threw in a gutter and then had an elaborate cover-up with the mayor's office and the governor's office, the police chief's office, where they were trying to hide the standard to make sure that other people didn't find it and connect it to the money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, and you can, if you want, you can go back into the archives of the podcast uh, and listen to the three special episodes that Fenzel, Belinky, and I recorded for the last three episodes of The Shield, one sort of overthinking each. So if you're making your way through on DVD, that might be something to check out. Back episodes of the podcast, by the way, the iTunes feed uh, only goes back uh, eight or ten episodes. So if you want back episodes of the podcast, you have to go to overthinkingit.com and click on the link in the menu at the top that says podcast, and you'll be taken to a page where you can page through all the episodes back to number one uh, and the first 10, even though those first 10 are not super good, you can listen to them <laughs> if you hey, want Matt, to. Matt, 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 runner-up, quick runner-up, just for the name, would be the end of Baywatch, right before it became <laughs> Baywatch Hawaii. Episode 198 of Baywatch is called Castles in the Sand, and that's the finale of Baywatch. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I hope wow. it's amazing as it sounds. Uh, moving right on then to New York City and Mark Lee. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I hope you don't mind your your non-hosting position. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling my balls, you know, slightly of less size these days, but that's cool. I'm compensating in other ways. Really? You know, 
uh, this we'll, let's make this a democracy. You know, if you want Mark to host the podcast on a permanent basis from here on out, just leave a comment in the thing. Uh, Wait, girlfriend, uh, if, if we're going to do that, does that mean that if, if if I win, I actually have to do it? <laughs> <That's what that. laughs> yeah, or maybe maybe we can share it going forward. But uh, thank you again for your your courageous and noble overthinking service. What is your favorite TV series finale? All right, I'm going to go kind of esoteric and me being the only Asian dude or minority dude for that matter on really? the uh, podcast. I didn't know that because you never mention it. Never, <laughs> not, not once, not even on the blog either. No, <laughs> right? um, I'm going to go with something esoteric. It's an epic uh, Korean miniseries of over 24 episodes called Sandglass. Um, it's about the political upheavals in the late 70s and early 80s in Korea. And it follows the protagonists over about you know, 10 years or so, well, 20 years or so of their lives. And not without spoiling anything, because I know that uh, all of our overthinking listeners are very avid Korean soap opera fans. Um, <laughs> and they're going to go out and watch Sandglass after this. Um, without spoiling too much, I'll just say that one of the main characters dies at the end. And by the end of it, you're just so drained by the incredible hardships that these people have gone through. And Hey, hey Mark. Hey, Mark. Yeah. Is is it Kim? Is Kim the one that dies? Oh, 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 oh in a pro or it was Lee. It was probably Lee. I'm sorry. <laughs> Statistically speaking, yeah. I mean you can guess Kim is Lee. You're pretty very likely that you've picked the person who's gonna die. Uh, Koreans don't have a lot of last names. <laughs> Yeah. Have, just for the record, doesn't mean that all the Koreans are related. It's just that we don't have a lot of last names. It's you actually dig? like, it's like Ri, right? No, it's actually <laughs> E. There's no beginning consonant sound. It's just that you, like, it, it's stupid to, looks stupid to spell out E in English. Huh. So they add just a random consonant at the beginning. Really? So in yeah. Korean, so, so, so Lee so... Lee's like my slave name, you know, like Malcolm X, Mark Lee, same thing. <laughs> Got it. Uh, good to know. <laughs> We will put uh, we will put a link to Amazon uh, to the DVD set of Sandglass uh, in the show notes for the podcast on the blog. So visit overthinkingit.com, episode thirty eight, if you want to uh, see those. All right, after L comes M N O and P and Mister John Perich. How are you liking life as an overthinking it writer? Uh, it's it's working out for me so far. I've I've got one one on the spike and more on the way, and uh, it's. It's been a heady and and chaotic two weeks, uh, I have to say. But now that now that we've we've laid down some ground w- rules and I've you know got got back on the the methadone, I think we'll be we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> now you were you were out of the country, were you not? Yes, I was uh, briefly in Iceland uh, this past Ooh. weekend, which is why I missed uh, missed this podcast. For business or pleasure? Uh pleasure. Just a just a tourist job. <laughs> So at, it would, at it would the, not be business in Iceland anymore at this yeah. point, right? <laughs> well, I, I I did give them several American dollars, so you might—I <laughs> uh, don't know what you'd call it. Yeah, no, Iceland is probably very grateful to you for propping up their economy, right? <laughs> I I didn't. I mean, they weren't falling over themselves to thank me. I there was my ex, my experience of Iceland is they're they're friendlier than Bostonians, but but not. <laughs> But not outgoing. Like in other words, if you if you ask someone for directions or for advice on something, they won't you know spit at you and say and say fuck you, buddy. They'll you know they'll they'll answer your question civilly. But uh, 
but not go out of their way to help you out the way right, they won't, they someone won't, might in a small town in the American South or something like that. Yeah, they won't, they won't stop you on the street and say, hi, how are you doing, like they would, say, in the Midwest or the South or in, in our stereotypes of, of same. Got it. Uh, series finale, sir. I'm going to say Arrested Development, just because I don't want to say The Wire to two podcasts running. And, <laughs> and also because, honestly, I haven't, I haven't watched that many series all the way to completion. Ah, sure, fair enough. But, uh, but Arrest Development, I, I thought, hit, hit all the notes it needed to hit and was good. Uh, excellent. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that the, the way they brought it full circle, in a way it was a blessing that they knew the show was going to end by that point, that it wasn't sort of still up in the air as they were shooting the finale. Yeah. Because they could bring a lot of completion to it. Like the fact that they go back to the boat you know, where they started the first episode, uh, you know, and hey, you, you can't go wrong with the rest of development. Well, it's great to, uh, <laughs> it's great to have you here and we move on to back to New York. It's Mr. Stokes. Hello. hello. Hey, uh, congratulations on your bachelor party the other weekend. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, everyone who came down for it. I was I was very glad to attend, and I hope that the photographic evidence of the many illegal things that we did uh, will never ever find its way onto the internet. Yes, and 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 now in some small way it has. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and you I have like been to... tagged, tagged. I tagged you. <laughs> That's the worst thing to wake up to. You've been tagged in fifteen pictures. Oh, <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, no, nothing. I thought it was dark. <laughs> nothing, nothing good could ever come of this. Yeah, you can untag yourself. I am guilty. Oh. I am guilty of tagging some people in pictures who would probably prefer not to have their pictures tagged. Yes, uh, I, I have. I have very recently both untagged myself and posted photos that were very quickly untagged of the people involved. So I've I've been on both ends of that sword. Were your feelings hurt when your photos got untagged? Uh, uh, the first time it happened, they were, and then I just sort of became inured to it and realized I'm, I'm not as good a photographer as I think I am. So, uh, so yeah, you, you get over it. And also that, you know, that people might want employment one day. I don't get that at all. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Jordan, what's your, uh, what's your finale? I was going to go with Futurama. It had an opera in it, which I'm always in favor of. It had Hedonism Bot, which, again, I'm always in favor of. It was solid. <laughs> when, I, when I say the, the finale of Futurama, of course, I mean the, the finale of the TV show, which is now no longer the finale, I guess. Um, because of the movies? But, yeah, but, but in a way, it, it will always be the finale. I don't think anything they can do now will change that. Sure. Yeah, and mine, uh, mine is the as yet unmade series finale of The Simpsons. <laughs> sure. you're, you're, you're gonna reach into the fourth dimension and pick out your favorite series finale yeah, across all the time. I, I, I am fairly confident that when I don't know, does anyone watch The Simpsons anymore? I get it on, I, I, it's in my Hulu queue, so I see the new episodes when they come up, and it is still pound for pound some of the best comedy writing, uh, ever. I think I. I don't know. That that Da Vinci Code episode they did the other week was, was really solid. Right. You know? Yeah, and I think that it, I mean, we've talked about it before. I think The Simpsons went, uh, I think the point when it, like, changed to something that lost the earlier lightning in a bottle quality that the show had was when it went from being 
like a Bart centered show to a Homer centered show. And when they, they sort of uh, left behind Matt Groening's original dictum that the Simpsons only would do something that even if it's, even if it stretches plausibility that a real family could, uh, could plausibly do, you know, like, like Lisa, like in one of the earliest episodes in the first six or so, you know, Lisa uh, befriends Bleeding Gums Murphy. And, you know, you probably don't want your kids walking out on the street, you know, befriending transient musicians. And if that were to happen, it would probably not end well as it does in the episode. But, you know, it still is within the the realm of what we could accept as reality. But but it since has has left that far, far behind. But you don't uh, think that you could actually put a giant dome over an entire town? <laughs> that's uh, Oh, the movie. That, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, Maybe you could. And yeah, Simpsons did it. Simpsons uh-huh. did it. Simpsons did it. Not to be all Simpsons did it. Anyway, so I, I am confident that when it happens, uh, I will like the writing. It would be great if they got Conan O'Brien back to uh, to write that. Oh, the monorail episode is another example of that, where it's not realistic, but it is in some way plausible, right? That they could really? Build a monorail. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, I don't know. That you could build a monorail? Yes, there's dramatic compression, and it does go off the rails. It goes off the single rail. Uh, kind Bring of back the, Mark Lee. <laughs> I don't know. Rather, uh, given America's the attitudes towards public transportation, I kind of doubt that that really would have been feasible. Yeah, you're public <laughs> transportation. I don't, I don't know what, is that, what the context is. America's of opinion of giant domes is much more positive. <laughs> Americans love giant domes. Haven't you ever been to Epcot Center? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they have both giant domes and monorails there. So, yeah. They even use the word dome to talk about some of the favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like when I when I think about the Simpsons jumping the shark um, or changing somehow, the episode that everyone always tells me is the best is the baseball episode, and there's nothing realistic about that. Which one? Is when that? he becomes when Homer becomes the mascot. No, no, the one where uh, where all of the you know the greatest players of uh, whenever it was like late '90s baseball or something uh, show up on the uh, on the power plants team, and then they all meet with a series of untimely accidents. Oh, really? I forget. Oh, yeah, the softball episode. I mean, yeah, uh, not baseball. So. Yeah, the one where they chant Daryl, Daryl, yeah. and he's like, oh, it never bothers him, and then you see Daryl Strawberry shed like a single tear. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, Ken Griffey yeah, Jr. Yeah. gets gigantism. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of the Simpsons and domes, it's Chief Wiggum's intro to O Streetcar, the uh, streetcar named Desire <laughs> themed musical in season four, uh, where he says, uh, long before the Superdome where the saints of football play lived a city that the damned call home. Hear their hellish rondelay. <laughs> New Orleans, stinking, rotting, vomiting, bile. New Orleans. And anyway, it's my that is my favorite, so. bar none. That is my favorite Simpsons episode ever. Uh, it's called A Streetcar Named Marge, and it's in season four. 
Anyway, en- enough about that's all. That's also one with the the uh, Ayn Rand Center for Daycare, I believe, which is one of my f- <laughs> favorite uh, inside references. Exactly, exactly, Marge. You know, Marge. Uh, Maggie likes a bottle after her nap, and she's Mrs. Simpson. Here, we like to develop the bottle within. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh-huh. no, and there's also there's also this um, this inspired escape sequence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we should. Did, we did should... any of you guys? Did any of you guys see that Ian Rand movie, The Passion of Ian Rand? Did you watch that with me, Jordan? I watched part of it on TV once at three in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> and Eric Stoltz, right? Yes, it had Eric Stoltz. Oh, so in it. it wasn't. It wasn't porn. I thought it might be porn. <laughs> it was and it's also time. not. It was it's also soft core in places. I'll give it that. Uh, it's also not just her getting flagellated by the Romans for a solid three hours. Right. You know? Yeah. No, that was that was one hell of a snuff film that Mel Gibson made. Mm-hmm. Ayn Rand getting beaten up. Um, oh, the Passion of the Christ. I made the wrong connection. How did I miss that one? That's ridiculous. <laughs> like Ayn Rand never got beaten up by Mel Gibson. She's not like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Eric Stoltz, Eric Stoltz was in the commercials for the Battlestar Galactica spinoff Caprica that went on during the Battlestar Galactica f- uh, final episode that aired on Friday. Yes, he was. Yeah. Good old Eric Stoltz. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah, so they're doing a spinoff, and uh, I don't know, my opinion of the spinoff, the first thing that I said, my friend was like, oh, I'm reserving judgment. With Stoltzy. With Stoltzy, and I was like, look, Eric Stoltz has done a lot of projects that, technically speaking, on paper, were total crap. You know, and no, you you can't really look at them and say that was good, but they were thoroughly enjoyable if you were able to put your pride aside and actually watch it for more than a Like the film adaptation of Edith Wharton's The House of Mirth, except for the enjoyable part. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like when he was in The Prophecy with Christopher Walken. Oh, that yeah, one. but those are great movies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. I, yeah, uh, I mean, I think that just as film, just as film qua film, you know, The Prophecy could wipe the floor with the film adaptation of Edith Wharton's The House of Mirth. And he'd that's, say, that's probably true. That's so, probably wipe- uh, so some things. of you watch Battlestar. I mean, John, uh, I know you were uh, I know you were a. Uh, a Battlestar devoted uh, watcher and have something to to say about it. It it was on the Sci Fi Channel, I guess, which has just been rebranded the Sci Fi S Y F Y Channel. Yes, it has done that. Well, they wanted Why? they wanted something that they could trademark. Oh, yeah, yeah, was the idea. Well, my I've I've said this several times in in many different locations over the past couple days and uh, I I have never been a fan of the way the sci-fi channel is managed and uh, I think I, I think the the rebranding as sci-fi is sort of emblematic of that and I, I I use BSG as an example you know it's it's this channel's most massively popular series in its you know several dec or two decade history at this point. Uh, you know, the only one that's gotten any sort of pop culture exposure and a great deal in point of fact, like, you know, magazine covers, you know, cross promotion and other media, etc. And their solution is to put it in the the hot and popular and extremely lucrative Friday night at 9 p.m. time slot. <laughs> <laughs> that's life by time on all the Nolan Network, isn't it? Which is now the um, yeah, that's exactly. Term- that's the dollhouse slot. 
Yeah. And Terminus. We should refer to it. We should refer to it as the Battlestar Galactica memorial slot from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, right, exactly. It used to be when you watch Step by Step, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> One of the great sci-fi epics of our youth. Step by Step. <laughs> oh, when they go down that roller coaster, it's so scary. Right. You know, Friday night, like the TGIF lineup was popular for a while. Yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, I guess that hour-long dramas have traditionally not done well in that, in that slot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do they? And they didn't like when Sopranos came out on HBO. They used it as an opportunity to build a whole bunch of programming around it that has a sort of similar thrust to it, a similar reason to watch it. They foster a brand, and Sci-Fi hasn't even tried. I mean, FX did it with The Shield, and they did Rescue Me, and they did Sons of Anarchy, and they've done all these other series to build. Right, on right. The, and yeah. their their thing is like what edgy, sort of uh, heavily serialized, char- you know, kind of central character based. Dramas. Yeah, the Sci-Fi yeah. Channel's thing is a uh, computer-generated animal of of prehistoric lore uh, <laughs> unleashed on a, a small coastal town uh, and a you know thick-jawed uh, hero and a, a vapid-looking female heroine uh, somehow uh, team up and shoot it. Now, John, that's not quite fair. It's not always a prehistoric monster. Sometimes it's a poorly rendered pirate ghost. <laughs> I was a bear one time. <laughs> there was a bear one, and they, the, the truck went into a ravine, and they couldn't get the truck out of the ravine, and you knew there was a bear coming, but they didn't know. And so they're trying to push the truck out of the ravine, but the, the camera was so so ominous that you knew a bear was coming. They didn't even see the bear. Oh, that was drama, man. That was drama. Oh, I cried. I couldn't. I couldn't take it. I couldn't. I believe. Take it. <laughs> Does Aristotle talk about that when you know when the audience knows there's a bear, but the characters don't know there's a bear? <laughs> well, I, I believe that is in fact his his definition of an enthymeme when uh, <laughs> the audience knows more than the, than the bear. about bears. Yeah, yeah. Hey, about bears. hey, I have a question about the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, <laughs> Go for it. You have to excuse me because you know, I haven't had cable in a long time. So, what did you download this... all your television illegally? No, I, I get like I could stream Thirty Rock uh, episodes off of Netflix and stuff, but that's a different subject. Um, no, I remember Sci-Fi Channel of like constant like Planet of the Apes reruns and uh, just kind of just low a low rent uh, niche cable channel. And then I heard that ooh they got Battlestar, so that's like their one exception to it. So what is what is sci-fi? Have they been moving in the direction of doing more original programming? Um, and and Battlespar is just kind of like the one thing that has gotten any sort of success, and they just can't do seem to do anything else besides that. They do have a series of Stargate spinoffs, uh, and this this continues to shock me that that mediocre Kurt Russell James Spader movie from the mid '90s uh, was parlayed into a a rather popular. TV series, although the, the same could be said of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so I've been wrong before. Uh, other than, and every now and then they'll they'll do a a mini series or a made for TV movie or a a small series that will have a very limited run, attract some mild popularity, and then vanish after a season or two. Uh, 
Yeah, they've been doing a lot more original programming, and they've had this this series of sci-fi original movies that they've really made a big deal out of, which fit the descriptions that we were offering previously of like there's a monster and it's in the ocean and people are on a boat, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and it has cheap sci-fi about the production values of an episode of Hercules: The Legendary Journeys um, is what we're talking about here. But yeah, they're definitely not as much of a rerun channel. So just sort of like how Comedy Central went from being a, show, a channel that showed a lot of stand-up and a lot of syndicated rerun shows to one that had a lot of its own programming. And a lot of the basic cable channels are moving in that direction now mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's really cheap to produce original content for those channels relative to the major broadcast networks. And once you have something like that, you can flog it for all it's worth uh, in terms of syndication and merchandising and DVD series sales, which is a whole new revenue stream that no one ever imagined 10 years ago, even. I mean, until The Sopranos, I think no one ever really imagined that people would buy, pay 60 bucks to buy a box of TV shows. You know? Right. <laughs> so, and when you put it like that, it does sound sort of ridiculous. But uh, we all do it now, and for our favorite shows at least and and uh you know and so the, the um i think they that's where the growth is and so that's where the 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 money's going to go i think even if it you know even if it's less money than broadcast money there are all these sort of new series and each of the networks mm-hmm. is doing its best to like develop an identity like hbo was you know these sort of almost shakespearean central character driven uh, dramas, uh, USA is sort of a little more vapid, but like Burn Notice is doing well. It's more USA has Monk and Psyched, which are are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Burn, good you know I mean, Burn Notice is good too. I like it. Oh, it's very good. It's it's just it's, the tone is not anywhere near so serious and worthy as uh, as the HBO stuff is. Well, there's something. I guess. I mean, I feel like I should take back what I said because there's something kind of pretentious about all that worthiness, right? That like, you know, I, I kind of, when I watch TV, I don't want a, I don't necessarily want a, a like serious inquiry into the nature of uh, human emotion and conflict, right? I sometimes Unless wanted, you're watching The Shield. I the guess shield. So. <laughs> The Shield also, though, made good on, on the running around and shooting people. That's very true. You know, and all picking them up for information. David yeah. Simon, you know, David Simon. It was something that he talked about, right? The kind of triumphalist, uh, the triumphalist character of most cop shows. And yeah, I think yeah, this yeah. is something that the Shield was guilty of, um, even though it showed us the flaws of the central character. That uh, you know, the just the sheer kinetic joy of watching Vic you know, run and take some guy down. Uh, you know, that guy who he took down probably had a hard life, you know, and probably <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, probably from the point of view of the, the most sensitive uh, socioeconomic analysis, <laughs> right? Like there were a lot of reasons that guy was selling drugs and, you know, he was sending the money back home to Guatemala or something. I, you know, I don't know. It, and it's sort of what David Simon's quote was that a lot of television exists to comfort the comfortable and to mock the afflicted. And, uh, you know, I think we're all guilty of that in entertainment, but I'm not too guilty because it's awesome. Yeah. 
<laughs> speaking of awesome, <laughs> and speaking of sci-fi channel, <laughs> somebody please share what we have just found. <laughs> uh, all right, you want to share? You want to do the honors, Jordan? Oh, sure. I was, uh, you know, Matt was saying something very profound and well thought out, so I was doodling around on the internet, uh, and I came across the the, uh, the Wikipedia page that lists all of the sci-fi original pictures, and I, I highly suggest that everyone who's listening to this podcast go to this site, which will, you know, we'll put the link there for you, yep. and just pick your favorite title and post it in the comments, and we can go back and forth. Mine is uh, is definitely Chupacabra, Dark Seas. It's the uh, the Chupacabra on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> is there a is there a ghost ship moment where it's like, hey, there are chupacabras on this boat? <laughs> and to clarify, the ghost ship moment is when the characters in the movie figure out the thing that they didn't know that you knew because you know what the movie is called. <laughs> Such as like, oh, we're on a ghost ship, or like, oh, there's dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. You right, know, that's exactly, sort of yeah, exactly right. Or you know, yeah, this house is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> or like, hey, there was a murder committed here 50 years ago tonight. <laughs> I, I will say my favorite sci-fi movie, and I have actually watched this movie all the way through, uh, is the Stephen Baldwin vehicle Earthstorm, which is basically the same as Armageddon, except the moon is going to explode. Yeah. <laughs> just the Earth. And, and there's the, the commercial was amazing, and I saw the commercial so many times. The commercial was worth seeing the movie, I think, uh, because uh, D- Stephen Baldwin has to go to the moon to like blow it up so that it doesn't crash into the earth or some bullshit like that. And there's this shot in the commercial where he goes, but I have no training to go to the moon. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> It's like, oh no, how are they going to train him to go to the moon in only 24 hours? Oh man, it was amazing. Uh, also, I, I, I hate to raise this, but wouldn't, uh, I mean, the problems that would be solved by blowing up the moon, uh, I, I have to... Wouldn't they, yeah, wouldn't there be large uh, unintended consequences such as, such as were explored in the, uh, you know, relatively philosophical weighty film, Bruce Almighty? <laughs> perhaps, but perhaps Stephen Baldwin will be able to fix those too because he's just that damn good. Well, I guess so, but he doesn't have any training for oh, fixing no. the problems <laughs> with the moon. <laughs> Are these real? Are the ones that you guys have typed into the chat window all real? Yes. Dungeons and Dragons 2 Wrath of the Dragon God. Which I've seen 15 minutes of. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, once. Was once the Dragon get- God angry? Uh, I, I did not stay that long. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, you don't you don't bring out the dragon god in the first act, you know. I guess so. <laughs> it's just a couple dragon mini bosses. Yeah. <laughs> what, what made, what made D- uh, Dungeons and Dragons Two: Wrath of the Dragon God entertaining, or as I like to call it, D and D Two WDG, uh, was the <laughs> what was was you know the wait is no, is D and D Two a D and D. No, it was it was not more advanced than the original one. Sorry. <laughs> was uh, was was watching it and just you know seeing characters you know characters in the movie do things like oh there's some magic here let me use my gem of true seeing and like oh great here comes the product placement. <laughs> you know if it were a if it were an MMORPG it could be a product placement because that's like a business model for. Some of these companies, right? They sell for real money. They sell in-game items. <laughs> I'm sorry. The ones that are coming up in the chat are just too good. I think Cube 2 Hypercube is, is, pretty, is pretty ridiculous, especially because that's like Cube 4. 
though I guess I guess Cube is already like Cube is the the third sequel to Line or the second sequel to <laughs> Cube is a good movie. Cube to Hypercube is ridiculous. <laughs> to Line, right? It was Line, you know, yeah, line, line two cube. square. Yep. Line three cube. And then Cube mm-hmm. Two, Hypercube. They rebooted yeah. the franchise. Uh Shark in Venice. <laughs> which which my friends saw and it's amazing it's about it's about an archaeologist or, or somebody who has to go into uh, a, into a, an old tomb in Venice to try to get an old relic, and for some reason, someone has released sharks. And so, <laughs> and so, because of the water level rising, all of this place is flooded, and there's sharks that are swimming around, and they have to avoid and or fight the sharks. And, and if I may note, also starring Stephen Baldwin. Oh, nice. wow. excellent! Is there? <laughs> I mean, th- there must be a ghost ship moment in that movie. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> guys, there are sharks. In Venice! <laughs> There's also a moment when the shark realizes that it's in Venice, so all the characters get that. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a ship ghost moment. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You guys, I have to ask an honest question here, because um, we're on a, a terribly good, fun, t- good time making fun of these horrific B-grade movies that came out on sci-fi. But let's be honest. Um, couldn't we all see ourselves in a position where we are either writing or helping create these very movies in my wildest dreams that's why i'm going to that's why i'm i'm considering going to acting school for three years <laughs> like it would be an astronomical level of success if i could at- attain the high level of celebrity that stephen baldwin has had <laughs> hey guys you know? my name is Keith fenzel i wrote manticore the original sci-fi film <laughs> <laughs> oh well, hello mr fenzel let me sit you down you, you nice martini yes oh you wrote manticore oh. uh, I, <laughs> yes i wrote manticore 2 manticorier <laughs> now that's not real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I, but man, I just Tito sci- is real. <laughs> yes, I just had the Sci-Fi Channel greenlight uh, Wyvern Two, Wyvern on the Edge. Uh, I, I, I can I can write my own check in this town. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm pitching a sequel to Shark in Venice called Shark in Shanghai. Is it for the Travel Channel? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, I think that it's a wonderful thing that these movies are being made. Um, it's it's the only place where truly terrible monster movies are being made in America anymore. And that, I mean, that's part of what sci-fi is. Although I'm sure that the reason they're making them is crassly commercial, that they'll make a certain amount of money and they'll make the same amount of money every time, you know, and they can put them together for $100,000 or something like that. Um, it really is paying a service to the genre's history because, you know, I mean, people, the, the blob and stuff, that's important. A lot of important uh, actors and directors got their start making stuff like Piranha 2 for Roger Corman, you know, it's, it needs to be there. Roger Corman is a special case, I think, because he was he was just an incredible factory, but he had a knack for seeing talent. That's true. Right? That, you know, he was he was kind of the X factor that made that whole thing made that whole thing work. 
But I mean, but he's not the only one either, because like, I mean, you have William Castle and there's a there's a review of mine on the blog of uh, the movie Straight Jacket, which is uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Not a sci fi movie, but then a lot of the William Castle movies are sci fi um, and and they're all pretty great, you know, in that truly terrible way. There also is a review on the blog of uh, this is a tangent. So, you know, feel free to pull me back to the main topic, which is what bad sci fi movies on the sci fi channel, uh, if you want to. But um, you wrote a review of uh, Last House on the Left. Yes. The the original, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the, the Wes Craven one. Yeah. Which is being remade now under the supervision of Mr. Craven, though not directed by him. Yeah, which has been remade. I think it. I think it came out and did its little turn and is gone now. I think. There's another. Well, I don't know. One maybe. Out. Oh, another one? Okay. Maybe I just read the advanced reviews and they were so bad that I was like, okay, well, well, there went that. <laughs> I mean, you know what, cheap, I guess they're not really sci-fi in that they don't feature a, you know, nebbishy scientist and his surprisingly hot, nubile young assistant, but monster movies are still being made. You know, I mean, there are horror movies. The, the um, oh, what was it? Friday the 13th, right? Mark, that we saw previewed at Comic Con that then came and went. There's that, but I'm clearly what we're talking about here is like this special, you know, B grade. Um, and I think the the value. I don't know. Friday the Thirteenth was pretty B grade. Huh. Well, but I guess in terms of like not in terms of production value, right? No, I think I when, I say, when I say I B, guess B so. grade, I guess what I'm talking about is 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 I guess the preposterousness of the of the premise and knowing that it's preposterous. But still doing it anyway. And it's interesting. Like the, like, about the, the volcano in Manhattan, for example. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Was that one called Super Volcano or something like that? I think it was. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to dispute that. You know, Super, super Volcano isn't funny since 9 11. Terrible. <laughs> I disagree. Super Volcano is hilarious. <laughs> the terrorists have not won Super Volcano. Super Volcano remains victorious over the terrorists. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you bring up Friday the 13th, though, because um, the original Friday the 13th was very, very cheap. The remake that they came out with cost a whole lot of money. Um, now, there are the, still people... You mean the, make, re- the recent one, the 2009? Yeah, the, the, the one that you saw the, the trailer for at Comic-Con. Um, there are still people making absolutely phoned-in, thrown-together horror movies, I mean, the which horror- don't get, they, they don't get theatrical releases. They're released direct-to-DVD, and you can buy them for like $5 in a 7-Eleven, and they're yeah. still making those. But they're not doing that for sci-fi anymore, in the same way that you could get like a dozen flying saucer movies from the 1950s that were just created literally to fill up the double bill at the drive-thru you know that was mm-hmm. they were made so that they would have something to play after the more reputable movie right absolutely. now when made, all the kids when all the kids are making out anyway exactly yeah <laughs> and um and and the kids would like would only come for that part you know because wh- why do they want to see you know the prime of miss jean brody when they could be making out while a shark is in venice right <laughs> um, <laughs> that at my high school <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not make out the prime of miss jean brody <laughs> although they probably did some of that other stuff too i wasn't part of it oh <laughs> that's all right don't worry about it yeah, I do no, you were you were busy doing the prime of miss jean brody were you i wasn't in that show i wish i was in that show were you mr Louther? No, no, no. I wasn't in that one. Oh, okay. um, I actually, I think it was after. I was a, it was when I was a senior, but I, I was not in that play, um, which is a shame because it looked pretty interesting. But it's mostly women. It's true. Well, yeah, one, yeah. one woman and the rest girls. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, uh, the prize nice, fishing Brody, by the way, is about uh, the moon is about to explode, and <laughs> Miss Jean Brody is like, I have no training to go to the moon, and I'm like, it's all right, Miss Jean Brody, drink this potion, and you'll go into prime time, and then you'll have superpowers, and you'll be able to fly to the moon. <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> it's we about the crushing. Flating the plot of uh, SS Doom Trooper. We should pitch that to the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, Speaking of speaking of dramatic, speaking of you know theatrical productions or you know drama in general that has roles for talented female actresses. Uh, the the Battlestar Galacta had a finale, right? Oh, right. Right, it did, it did. I think the most important thing about the Battlestar Galactica finale is that it means that there won't be any more Battlestar Galactica episodes. <laughs> that's probably, yeah, that's probably a good thing. No, see, John and I, John and I have talked a little bit about this. We're of a bit of a difference of opinion, and we won't spoil anything for anybody. But I think that it it warrants being talked about. Um, and I, I I'm not as big of a fan of the finale as John was. I don't know if he was a huge fan. I think he was a little, a little bit more satisfied with it than I was. Oh, and by the way, uh, we're not. This is going to be a spoiler-free thing, so don't feel like you have yes, to turn yes, off no, your. Yes. Don't feel the like only... you have to turn it off now. The no only spoiler. spoiler is that there are no more episodes of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Crazy. Not aware of this. Except for the Eric Stoltz spinoff. All that the Cylons doing. are gay? <laughs> I said no spoilers. No, that's not. Jeez. I made that up. I have not seen a single episode of, uh, <laughs> of the... I prefer yeah. Edward James Olmos as uh, in you know the West Wing, where he plays a mm. uh, embittered justice who is elevated to the Supreme Court. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, my basic take on it was that I thought that it was watchable, although a little bit boring. Um, it was not unpleasant, you know, but at the same time, given the ambition that the show had, ref- had shown intermittently over the course of its run, I felt like it didn't really live up to its own aesthetic values that it had had when it was really good. It, it certainly didn't tie up all the loose ends, but we won't go into that in too much detail. Um, and it kind of operated on a bit of a lower level of rigor and a lower level of commitment than, say, the best parts of season three, uh, which I guess is a tall order, but I was spoiled by the shield, so what do I know, right? Um, was that, I mean, was your line about it, you were talking about it before, was your line about it like, you enjoyed it more than you think it was really good? Exactly. Yeah. Much like most of the books I read in college, I thought were much better than I liked them. Uh, Battlestar Galactica series finale, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought it Hold was on. really good. I, I want to I wanna take issue with that. Like, the point of literature is that we like it, you know? Right? And so if you don't like it, by some measure, by some meaningful and important measure, it's not a good book. Well, I don't think that Annabelle Patterson, my Spencer professor, would agree with you very much because I wrote a paper about how I thought the Fairy Queen was a piece of crap, and I got a C minus on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I, because you thought you were wrong. I'm sure your paper was at least, you know, well observed and persuasively argued. Uh, you wipe, you give me way too much credit for that sort of thing. <laughs> I tried my best, but I was on tilt that time. That was freshman year of college. I didn't know anything. Oh yeah. I knew was, we should, uh, yeah. we should anyway. do a treatment of the Fairy Queen and pitch it to the Sci-Fi Channel, man. <laughs> Super Fairy Queen. Yeah, no. yeah. The Fairy Queen 2, First Blood. <laughs> this time it's personal. Allegory for British chastity. What? Yeah, yeah. 
Fairy Queen in Venice. So, John, what was the uh, what, what's the pro side of the Battlestar Galactica uh, finale? Uh, Thank I you. I'm not... glad other people are stepping in with the hosting responsibilities. Because <laughs> yeah, I thanks. Am, you're, you're, you're I am more of a like... hindrance than a help at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the coup, uh, leaper, you know, podcast host. Yeah, my my take. I was I was satisfied with it. Uh, I know there's in the in the past couple of days there's been a lot of I've seen a lot of dis, disgust and distaste with how it ended on the internet, but. Uh, my take is, you know, with with certain prominent exceptions like, you know, The Shield or Arrested Development, it's hard for a TV series to have a really, really good series finale. Like it's it's hard for it's hard for a show to transcend its typical level of writing and wrap everything up in a satisfying manner and still be narratively compelling and still be entertaining TV all in, you know, all in one hour or two hours for extra special episodes. So given that, and given that the, the writers had piled a lot of baggage onto the, onto the narrative frame in the, in the past four seasons and five years, I, I thought it was satisfactory. I, you know, there are certain things that were resolved kind of well. Uh, There were certain things that weren't resolved at all. Uh, there were a couple things that were resolved, for my taste, kind of poorly, and there's no helping that. Uh, and there were a few set pieces that were very thrilling and engaging to watch. And, uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was fine with it. Uh, I'm, I'm, glad it's, I'm glad it's done. And, yeah, that's it. Well, John, you know, the, with the unresolved plot points, uh, that's for you to take up in your fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, you're right. anyone who wants to take the take up that baton in front of it. Well, I mean, isn't isn't Battlestar Galactica really just Book of Mormon fan fiction anyway? <laughs> what? Uh, you were unaware of this? No, Wait, it's maybe. true. Yeah, no. it, it it legitimately is. Like you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, it's yeah. There, I, I I won't spoil too much of it, but yeah, if you just look on the internet, like you know, Battlestar Galactica Mormon connection, yeah, it's it's pretty well documented. The guy who came up with Battlestar Galactica back in the original run of it was a was a Mormon, and he wrote it as an allegory uh, about Mormonism. So, I mean, the, the basic story is that you have humanity is split up into 12 tribes, right, and there's a horrible disaster. And one sort of ragtag group of people that's been assembled needs to set out across the wilderness to find the lost 13th tribe. Um, and that is the basic plot of um, the Book of Mormon, you know, the books that make up the Book of Mormon. Um, and it's also the basic plot of both versions of Battlestar Galactica. So it's not incidental. It's very much on purpose. And the guy who came up with it did it for a very specific reason because he was Mormon and he thought it was a story worth telling. So it's not controversial. Um, I mean, it might be controversial for you if you don't like Mormons. Um, I don't have a problem with them. But uh, I mean, sorry, what so, so what about the Cylon? Then? Is, there an, is there a corresponding... Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't. It's been a long time since I opened my old Book of Mormon, um, but I'm sure that that there are adversaries and enemies along the way and and, and hindrances. Now, in the new Battlestar Galactica uh, versus the old, <coughs> excuse me, Battlestar Galactica, the relationship between the human beings and the Cylons is much more complicated. Like in the old Battlestar Galactica, the Cylons were basically evil robots. Like there was very little subtlety in what they were trying to accomplish. Um, you know, it was basically humanity had made the mistake of trusting them, and now humanity had paid for its mistake. We see their true colors, and now it's kill ki- or be killed or run away. 
this whole idea about humanity and the Cylons being connected and interrelated, that's all stuff from the contemporary version. That has nothing to do with the old version. Um, the old speaking version... Of, yeah. yeah, speaking of the old version, I wanted to ask, so I guess you've seen a lot of the old one? Uh, yeah, I've seen a fair amount of it. You know, I mean, here and there. They used to run it a lot in the Sci-Fi Channel, actually. Um, <laughs> there you go. Ah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I think I think heard somebody describe it really well once, which was that it opened really strong, but it loses steam about the time they get to the casino planet. Uh, <laughs> 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 there was a lot. <laughs> It gets pretty silly pretty fast, and they're very 70s, and they wear leather jackets, and they have these, like, windswept haircuts, and they're, like, very dashing and running around, and it's just – and there's scenes with little kids that are like, oh, no, the dog is sad. It's like, well, have you tried taking it for a walk? And it's just like, this is bullshit. But um, – you think it was intentionally campy? No, no, no. No, this was before people did that sort of thing. It was just a cheap rip off of Star Wars. <laughs> like, it, was not, it, was, it was campy because it didn't have enough money to fulfill its budgetary needs. Um, I mean, I guess it was intentionally campy in the spirit that sort of Star Trek was intentionally campy. But at the same time, I, don't, I didn't detect a lot of irony in what they were trying to do. Um, I mean, the A-team isn't really self-aware. You know, it's, it just has this element of silliness to it that is gleeful, but like kind of also the best that they can do. Like this yeah. would be like ascribing, you know, this, this, there's a difference between the Adam West Batman series and Knight Rider. Um, they, they have a lot in common, but they also don't have certain things in common. So, for instance, the talking car is a big difference. Yeah. Wait, is the Batmobile talk in, in the Adam West Batman thing? No, the Batmobile is not talk. They have to talk for it. They do autonomous batteries to power, turbines to speed, and then they hit the buttons. Mm-hmm. And the at no point does David Hasselhoff walk around with a giant cartoon bomb. Right. No. Hey, have you guys seen the video Batteries montage of all, of all the... Tr- <laughs> Superman that hoe. There's a, great, <laughs> there's a great YouTube video floating around, and maybe we can put a link of this up, where somebody took all the Turbo Boost sequences from all the Knight Rider episodes and made them into one video. Um, the awesome. Turbo Boost, yeah, you can only hit it once an episode, and Kit would, like, jump over something. And the funniest thing about it is that every time it lands, they cut to David Hasselhoff, who obviously wasn't inside the car during the stunt, and he, like bounces like he just landed from a really crazy landing um and you, if you see him do it a lot of times in a row you realize that it's something that he had like practiced doing and does exactly the same every time so it's all thoroughly enjoyable i'll see if i can get that link for you awesome also i've, I've found a uh... I found a link to the BSG Mormonism connection being explained in detail, and, and we can we can share that in the post of this podcast. Copy now, it into the you, chat, and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. If you guys who were big, you know, Battlestar followers had to go back and say what was the whole thing an allegory for, would you say the Book of Mormon at this point, or do you think something else, or was it not really an allegory and intent at all? Um. <laughs> I'm, I think perhaps there was some allegorical intent, but I don't think it was that clever. And I, I can't really go into further detail without spoiling elements of the series finale. So I'm going to say yes, but I wish it were no. Yeah, I think it became much more of a sort of like a more, much more of a sort of like diversity versus hatred, like the other kind of storyline. Um, you know, more of an allegory for like 
racism and homosexuality and other sorts of things like that. Like there's somebody who's very different from me and I'm threatened by them and how am I going to deal with it? And that's, that's sort of like what it became more than by the end of it, at least. You know, what's an uh, allegory for that. And also for the book of Mormon is uh, Stephanie Meyer's twilight series. Oh, <laughs> apparently. is that well, true? Is that true? Well turned. Well turned. <laughs> I, no, no, I just I mean, mentioned, I mentioned this because I saw the twilight movie this weekend for the first time. Uh, on, uh, I probably shouldn't say the way I saw it, though the DVD did come out. It it was not on DVD that I saw this film. Uh, but so, <laughs> you tracked down the one theater in America that was still playing it. Right. And, uh... Yeah. No, that must the, the like the third run $2 theater. Yeah. Somewhere in the Midwest, somewhere that's still somewhere in Utah that is still playing the, uh, Twilight series. No, and uh, it's funny that we were talking about basic cable movies of the week because I actually put the production value and the writing and much of the acting uh, of the Twilight film on par with the basic cable movie of the week. You know, there were there were a lot of like kind of historical reenactments that were sepia toned, kind of slow motion. You know, shots of wolves running through the forest or or things like this. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great though. It really played up that aspect of, of, uh, every adolescent girl's dream of a, uh, perfectly attentive, devoted boyfriend who does not lay a finger on you. Um, Matt, when you, when you compare the production value to, to a, a cable made for TV movie, the thought that came to my mind is that there are millions of devoted fans out there that just thought, Them's fighting words. <laughs> I guess so. You know what? You know what? Fucking bring it on the blog. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I shouldn't swear. We're gonna lose. Don't our, f bomb. Yeah, we're gonna lose our clean rating on iTunes. It's a family show. Family <laughs> show. I guess so. Also, if there are any teenage girls who want to fight Matt Rather, <laughs> I, I feel like this is something we can arrange. I'm the Don King of Portland. Yeah. No. I would. I would. Uh, you definitely, I would fight teenage girls. I'd just be afraid that they would kick my ass. You, you know? know, sometimes, you know, the art of losing isn't hard to master. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a poem that is both good and enjoyable, I think. Though <laughs> kind, good, of, good, uh, kind of depressing. That's, that's enjoyable in a way. That's Elizabeth uh, Bishop. Is that who it is? Yeah, the art. Of, so many things seem filled with the intent to be lost that their loss is no disaster. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then it like, goes on. It's a sequ- it's it's a catalog in essence of of the things that she loses up to uh you. Oh, that's so yeah. sad. I know. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it's very very sad. It's very very sad. <laughs> that's almost racist. almost that's like it's, <laughs> almost like it's sad the way that Edward loves her so much but he can never touch her because he will surely kill her with his bad man sex. What voice are you doing right now? What is that? I don't know. It's it's kind of a, is that a vampire accent there? <laughs> that was vampirish right there. It was sounding very Asian, but I'm going to just pretend Asian. like it was a vampire thing. So I'm not going to go offended and whatnot. I think he sort of no found, he figured out it was Asian. He started steering it towards something else by the time he was done with his rant. Oh, no, I was trying to be like baby talk. I was trying to be like cutesy talk. Like, but oh. apparently that's, that's bad. So, uh, you know. But are I, you trying to say that Asians sound like babies? What's that? No, I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say that they lack 
the uh, the c- cognitive capacity and the rational. No, 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 no! Don't say that. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I do not. Quote of the week. <laughs> I do not. I do not think that about Asians. But you know, sometimes someone accuses you of something that is so ridiculous that instead of backing off, you just have to, you know, hold your nose and jump headfirst into. The offensiveness of whatever it is you're talking about. At least I feel that way about many things. It's like, it's like Wesley Snipe in New in Wesley Snipes in New Jack City when they're like, Nino Brown, did you run a crack ring based out of the Carter Apartments? And he's like, I didn't run a crack ring. Society ran a crack <laughs> ring. <laughs> <laughs> this is society's fault. And like and he goes in this rant about how like the whole all of civilization is built to like create this den of iniquity and he's just the guy who's taking advantage of it. And and then this inexplicably causes him to get off from his convictions for drug crimes. And I don't know why. <laughs> I, love it. He, I love he, it how in movies an inspirational speech can get you out of nearly any script. Yeah. Um, to, I be love fair, to be fair, I am, I'm a I'm a not well kind of a fan of New Jack City and spoiler alert. He gets off because he uh, somehow, and this is sketchy as well, but blames his, like, lieutenant, the guy who had the bank accounts, as really being the mastermind. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, get, I guess he, the, the DA just can't change the charge to, like, accessory to masterminding, and, uh, <laughs> and he walks. Yeah. No, I mean, I love New Jack City. Don't get me wrong. New Jack City, I, I, I adore it. Um, it is not a movie that you can take seriously at every moment that you're watching it, but uh, it definitely has a lot of charm. And if you haven't seen it, I, I, that is on the recommended list. And it's also the kind of movie that isn't much diminished by spoilers. Um, so don't feel like because you don't know how it ends. Uh, believe me, it won't reflect most of the things that happen in the middle. So especially the awesome things. Living just enough for the city. You guys still there? Yeah, sorry. We're, oh, yeah. yeah, we just wanted to let you finish that. Well, yeah, okay. start, start, start. <laughs> just for the city. Jordan yeah. takes exception to uh, to my contention that uh, that Twilight was a uh, basic cable movie of the week, or at least at that uh, level of production. You guys are already in a flame war, and we haven't even finished the podcast We're yet. We're in a chat room flame war, which <laughs> yeah. is the worst kind. Oh, this man. is the 21st century, man. You know, you have to multitask. <laughs> true, true. Uh, <laughs> but multitasking can be do something else while not doing the other thing. You know, I hope our <laughs> listeners, I hope our listeners are are satisfied by this. That while while we are, you know, recording this podcast, we are always typing suggestions to one another, helpful suggestions how to make it a better podcast. <laughs> 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 For instance, that I've is, been told not to wear pants. That but... is how much we care. Uh, yeah, no. without giving anything away, where the production values are quite high indeed. Um, one would probably suspect that they shot it first and spent too much of their money on it, or something like that, because a lot of the special effects are quite amateurish. Yes, but. That one fight scene is clearly professional. Yeah, it's pretty um, good. I mean, the fight scene, yeah, it's pretty good. They're trash in the ballet studio. doesn't really look like a ballet studio so much as it looks like a, you know, gothic house of horror version of an actual ballet studio. <laughs> but, 
you know, okay. I mean, that's fine. I, I will allow them that. But I think, like, you know, when he takes her into the woods and, and finds out he's a vampire for the first time, or she, like, stalks away and runs into the woods and finds out he's a, and, you know, admits he's a vampire, there's all this camera work where it's just, it's like camera moves on trees, where it's like, you know, pan across several trees, tilt up one tree, lots of trees, as though, like, she's, it's like very disorienting camera work because she's disoriented on the inside. And, you know, that, I'm disoriented now just listening to that. <laughs> or that, like, this you is, know, this is also. They say we are descended from the wolf people, and then suddenly we get a sepia-toned shot of the wolves running through the uh, running through the forest. And don't get me wrong, OMG Twilight. I I truly enjoyed Twilight. I, it spoke to my inner fourteen-year-old girl, and I am man enough to say that I harbor one deep, deep within myself. <laughs> <laughs> deep within your what? In, in your basement? Does uh, does your inner fourteen-year-old girl have a giant crush on um on what's his face, Robert Pattinson? No, I didn't like him. I thought he was, I don't know. I there, he was just Hot? too <laughs> dreamboat, too dreamy, is it, too, too gorgeous for words. Is he really? too gorgeous for words? That's what you were gonna say, right? No, here's Are the you thing about him. He's he's very right up to the, he's very up to the minute as far as dreamboats are concerned, right? He belongs in the same class as like Zac Efron and these very 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 pretty young men that you see now in the High School Musicals and the Disney Channel specials and the whatever it is that the kids watch these days with their T-Mobile sidekicks and their uh, you know rainbow parties, but the. <laughs> You know, but there's something in the book where it's kind of like he that character should belong to another time. You know, he's he's kind of classic or he's kind of timeless or he's sort of he he seems out of place. And, you know, especially when he's like rocking the leather jacket and sunglasses and things like this, he seems like he's sort of uh, he sort of he fits right in. I mean, he's sort of cast for the post MTV generation. yeah, for the Disney Channel generation and, and not really for the, I don't know. I'm really, I'm getting way, way too into this, right? Yeah, I'm, I to... so, so you think you think that he should be like William Henry Harrison hot, right? <laughs> right, yeah, as opposed to Zac Efron hot. It's interesting. I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, I feel like he kind of has to be... Uh, actually hot to the the audience that's going to be watching it and well there's they, they uh, yes you raise an excellent point yeah, uh, yeah oh, they, i don't agree with you sir but i'll fight to the death for your right to say it <laughs> you know it would have been good if they could have had some flashbacks to him in like historical time and managed to make him fit into that you know style of hotness too so you just think that he's a snappy dresser who's changing with the times right jordan like once sent me jordan once sent me an article that i read uh and and enjoyed about um, pornography, horror films, and melodrama as three points along a continuum, uh, but different in degree uh, and not in kind, where a certain kind of excess and a certain sexual perversion turns um, uh, uh, in, involves in an excess of a certain type of fluid. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're distorting it a little bit. It's uh, the idea is that they are all is that they're not different in degree, but they're, they're like the, the same but different in flavor or something like that. That like in you specific have to have detail. A, yeah, 
an excess of a particular emotion. So it's, you know, sadness or fear or lust. And there's going to be inarticulate vocalizations, whether it's like, oh, no, oh, no, I'm so sad. Or, oh, yes, oh, yes. Or, um, I mean, you can you can figure it out. Um, and then, yes, a bodily fluid is released, whether it's blood or tears or something else. <laughs> right. Yeah, so yeah, like exactly. Tumors. And that and that there's actually there were in this little matrix in this article, it was really fascinating because it's um, because I thought it was I thought it was pretty on point. And here's the thing uh, about Twilight. Right. It's a melodrama dabbling in horror, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. that it's, uh, you know, it's in essence very sort of state and conventional in its story of like, I want to. Oh, no, no, we mustn't. But these, um, uh, some of these horror tropes that it gets, uh, you know, make it an interesting hybrid, genre hybrid. So it's like yeah. a romance and if you go novel. Back, if you go back to the dawn of the, um, the English horror uh, novel, you get like Frankenstein and Dracula. Those right. are very melodramatic, you know? Right. So these genres play well together. Also, I mean, Dracula, Dracula, Dracula. What, what am I saying? Dracula. Uh, they're like Steven Soderbergh's Dracula. <laughs> Dracula. It's three hours long, and no one can understand what the hell is going on. It, you know, they cut back and forth between storylines that seem to be related but aren't. Actually, uh, in Mexico, Transylvania. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Actually, Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dra- Dracula, the the epistolary novel, cuts back and forth between. Uh, a number of storylines that don't seem to be related, but turn out to be uh, actually related. But there are some very sexy scenes in that also, you know, with the, oh, three, yeah. the three sexy lady vampires, for example. And this is like, um, you know, this is another and I, I guess Twilight kind of skirts the the pornography uh, uh, end of the spectrum as well, because I think a great deal is made without, I mean, a, a great deal is implied in not a very subtle way about penetration and the penetration of the vampire's bite and the, the sexual connotations of that. And so it's not, it really, it's, it's interesting because it spans the whole, uh, pornography, horror, and melodrama. It kind of, it's located in different spaces on that continuum at different times. Yeah. It's a, it's a perfect storm, really. <laughs> Yeah. A white squall, even. <laughs> Which is the perfect storm, but also has the continuum of being like a movie full of eye candy for the ladies. Not that the perfect storm didn't have George Clooney in it and all that. White yeah, Squall he, thing would make a good sci fi channel original movie. He was title. not, he was not white shirtless. White Squall 2, Griffin Lord. What? <laughs> he was not shirtless, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember which one I'm talking he was, about now. Clooney was dressed up in the, in, you know, commercial fisherman's garb or something. Well, Perfect Storm was before Clooney was like sex god Clooney and back when he was just another actor, right? Yeah, I guess I mean, so. Mark Wahlberg was really the, was really the uh, hunk in that movie. Movie, right, I, th- I, th- I think so. I mean, if you think about White Squall, I mean, White Squall had because I think it had a bunch of people in it. Did it have like Chris O'Donnell in it or something? Um, I'm looking Wait, at it. Oh, Scott Wolf, Scott Wolf, and Ryan Philippi. Uh, talk about you know that capturing an era of like hotness, so to speak. Um, I mean, yeah, it had Jeff Bridges in it and stuff, but like you know, you don't see <laughs> Scott Wolf and Ryan Philippi making movies anymore. Um, that's definitely more of an eye candy movie than the one that has uh, George Clooney in it, at least for 1996. 
<laughs> well, all right. I think it is time to wrap up. So thank you, panel, for overthinking with us. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in or downloading in or streaming, live streaming. <laughs> I had a problem with live streaming, but I went to a urologist and he cleared it right up. Kapow! <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a Merlin Mann joke that I've stolen several times on this very podcast, but uh, Merlin Mann. Uh, if you want to comment on anything that we have said, leave a comment on, after the show notes on the blog, or uh, email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com, or call the podcast voicemail at 20eatlog01. That's 203-285-6401. I didn't even have to look it up. I know it by heart by now. Uh, visit us on the site. Uh, do us a favor and take the uh, take the listener survey uh, on Please. overthinking it. Overthinking it. Do com. it. Yeah. Do and it now. I actually wanted to. We ask various things of our listeners uh, to help grow our readership and bring the podcast to uh, the attention of new people who might enjoy it. I wanted to ask a new thing that we've never asked before of our listeners. Uh, send a link to the podcast to someone who you think might enjoy it. And if you are the sort of person who enjoys this podcast, I'm sure you have friends that are every bit as geeky as you are and uh, might, might enjoy what we do. So maybe they don't know about it yet. Would you do us a favor and send uh, a link to them? Say, you know, that you uh, enjoy it, a link nah, and nah. an endorsement? Yeah? Now, nah, let, me, let me handle this. Okay. All right. Okay. You're listening to me right now? All right. Make a wish. All right? Okay. Now, scroll down. <laughs> scroll down. All right. Send a link to the Overthinking It podcast to 10 friends within the next five minutes, and your wish will come true. But if you don't, your crush will never talk to you ever again. (laughs) Also, there will be other horrible things, but I will not specify what they are because I don't know the circumstances of your life well enough to guess them accurately. Suffice it to say, Pasadena, California had the chance to forward the link on to someone, but didn't, and he lost his job. Oh, no! Oh, there's a recession on. You can't take that risk. <laughs> By the way, have, have, have I told you all that Matthew Rather, in addition to being the editor-in-chief of Overthinking It, is the former finance minister of Nigeria? <laughs> <laughs> beloved, beloved reader of my letter, <laughs> I have $20 million. Yes, no, and we will give you $20 million. No, we won't, but you should come. Anyway. Bank account. No, don't do that. Don't send your bank account. We like that. We actually, you know, a number of people actually did give their latitude and longitude. Yeah. <laughs> some of which we published. So uh, we probably shouldn't ask for bank accounts. Or let's say this. If you're going to send us your bank account number, and please include the 10-digit bank account number and also the nine-digit routing number. <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> do not listen to him. Send the link to the podcast to your friend. They'll like it when you, when like you do it, that don't cool. for, for privacy reasons don't post it online uh but email it to podcast at overthinking or if you prefer just to rather at overthinking and i will make sure uh that your money stays safe in my pocket and as always visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. find a new way to do that you know we no, should I kind do. of like the um, should... the, the, <laughs> the antiphonal effect that it gets <laughs> <laughs> it's like hock it <laughs> we could harmonize a little yeah we could uh we could do it separately right 
like you say it once rather and then you know the next person says it and the next person says it and then you could uh, splice them all together later them, lay, layer them rather later it's a lot more work than i want to do <laughs>